Do you ever feel like the devil is after you? You know what I'm talking about. It seems like one thing happens, then another thing happens, and another thing happens. And I'm talking about, you know, it happens, it happens, and you think, you know, I think the devil's after me. I think the devil's trying to get a hold of me. I think the devil's trying to, to, um, to um, you know, just tear me apart. I, I know that some people say, you know, well, they come in threes. Did you know they come in fours and sixes and twelves and, and any other number there is out there? I mean, I think that everybody wants to say, well, if I just get through the third one, then I'm going to make it. Well, I guess what? Guess what? Sometimes the devil's not like that. If he thought that it came in threes, then he'd know what to do all. I mean, he would, he, he, we'd, all, we'd know what to do all the time. We'd say, well, it's about to be over because it comes in threes. It doesn't come in threes, folks. You know, it comes in all kinds of numbers. And sometimes when you get down and you think, I can't get down any further, it feels like the devil's going to kick you one more time. It feels like that. Well, when Peter was writing this letter to these folks, he was, uh, had a, a people that he knew that they were discouraged. They were facing difficulties. They were certainly first, uh, facing persecution, but I'm going to tell you something else. They were facing life as well. And you know what life is. Life is the things that happen to you. Life is the car breaks down. Life is the, not only the car breaks down, but your dog gets sick and passes away. It happens in the same week. And then you're not looking for the, well, you're looking for the money to pay for your car. That's when the, the boss says he's going to cut back on your hours and you're not going to be making as much money. That's the reason, you know, that we, sometimes we go, what could happen next? Don't ask that question, by the way, because you'll find out what can happen next when you ask that question. Peter has written to these people. It's this letter, this, you know, First Peter, it's often called an epistle of hope, you know, because he was trying to give them some hope in this letter. Now, why does he need to give them, how does he give them hope? He tells them that as they walk with God, they will find their hope. So let's get into the scripture. Uh, it's First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He starts off here. You know what he's, he tells them? He calls them beloved. Now, I want you to understand that word beloved there is not a greeting. It's not like when, you know, when I get up and I do a wedding, I say, dearly beloved, we're gathered here. Now, that's not it when I'm doing a wedding. That's, that's a greeting. That's not the word. That word here is a word of agape. It's a word of God's kind of love. And what he's saying, he's saying, when you go through these difficult times, there's something you need to remember. God still loves you. Understand that. And you can get to that point where you have something that is going against you and it's something else that goes against you and something else that goes against you and you say, well, God must have forgot about me. He's not giving me any love night right now. He's not sharing the love with me. He doesn't really care about me sometimes. You think that way. You can get to that level. You might even think I'm simply on my own. You know, that really is what the devil wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that God doesn't love you anymore. He's forgot about you. And you're all on your own. But that's not the case. It says in Romans chapter 8 verse 35, Who shall separate us? That word, you can underline that word us. It's you included in this. From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... 
As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, realize this, folks. Let's say right now, if nothing good ever happens to you again. Not one good thing ever happens. If only the bad things that are going to happen to you, bad, bad things so bad we can't even mention them here. And if you do all kinds of bad things yourself, you're doing the bad things. You know what you can still say? God still loves me. God still loves me. And why is that? For nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, 1 John chapter 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God doesn't love like someone who can give you love and then take it away from you. God is love. He doesn't ever take it away. Now, that doesn't make God a pushover. That doesn't mean that he, he's going to accept all the bad things that you do. In other words, that won't take away his love. But I'm going to tell you what, he's not going to be pleased with all the bad things you do. He maintains justice with his love. He, he maintains mercy with his wrath. He, love doesn't accept evil. He doesn't try to accept evil because evil is what keeps us away from God in the first place. And, you know, you know some people say, well, it's God's judgment that keeps it. No, it's not. It's the evil that we do that keeps us away from God. Maybe the most profound thing that you can say, especially when you're in a crisis, especially when you're going through a tough time, especially when you're trying to make ends meet and you know how they're not quite there. You can't get them to meet, the ends to meet. Especially when you've got some problems with your children or problems with your work or problems, just problems in the world today. Most, one of the most profound things you can say is that God still loves me. God still loves me. So when you're going through a tough time, you should say it out loud. God loves me. I mean, you understand, maybe you have to go get in your car. <laughs> maybe you have to get in your car or maybe you have to get in the bathroom or you have to get somewhere that you don't want to, you're afraid that somebody's going to hear you and you're afraid of actually saying it. But quite frankly, you need to go and say, God loves me. God loves me. He still loves me. No matter what I'm going through right now, God loves me. And when you can't see beyond your crisis, you should say it out loud. God loves me. God loves me. God, good. God loves me. That's right. God loves me no matter what is going on. It won't make your problems disappear. But you will realize one more time you aren't alone in your problems. Maybe I should say it to you this way. Maybe if you had no problems whatsoever. There's nothing ever going to happen in your life right now, ever again. Nothing bad is ever, ever going to happen in your life, ever again. And you did not have the love of God. What would your future be? Think of it that way. But with the love of God, what is your future instead? Next thing Peter says here is, this is not your home. Understand that. This is not your home. Peter calls the readers sojourners and exiles. That actually means they are not at home with the people that live next to them. Understand, that's not their home. 
I mean, those, that may be those people that you live next to you. That may be their home because they don't know Jesus. But for you, that is not your home. It means that you are from another place. And Peter tells them this in order to encourage them. He uses the word parakaleo. Parakaleo is where we get the word paraclete, the divine paraclete. And we say the word divine paraclete. That means the Holy Spirit. And the word parakaleo means someone, it is to bring someone near to tell them something, to tell them a word of encouragement. It is whispering in the ear saying, you're going to make it. It's going to be okay. You're not of this world. You don't have to live by the rules of this world then. You don't have to be depressed because of the negative things that happen. When the Jews were in Egypt and they were oppressed by Pharaoh, this was not their home. Now, they'd all been born there. And probably a lot of people said, yeah, the the Jews were at home in Egypt at that. No, they weren't. It was not their home, for God wanted to take them to a different place, a better place. One great discouragement is thinking that you, what you're going through is permanent. You realize that. You start having these negative things that have happened to you. You start thinking, this is permanent. See, you say, but when I lost my job, wasn't that permanent? The only reason that is permanent is because you focused on it like this. You pulled it up and you look at it and that's all you can see. I will tell you it's not permanent. Even Einstein said time is relative. You know what Einstein actually said? Literally said. He said talking to a beautiful girl for two hours can seem like two minutes. And sitting on a hot stove for two minutes can seem like two hours. It's very relative, isn't it? It's very relative. And I will say to you, nothing is permanent in this world For us, even dying isn't permanent. When my friend Doug, I've told you about him many times, when my friend Doug, he'd gotten colon cancer, and they didn't run the colon cancer test on him because he was too young to have colon cancer. I've even had a, my daughter even has had a friend who was 35 or 36 that died from that recently. But they didn't run the test on him. Didn't run the test on him. And and so it metastasized to his liver. And what happens when it metastasizes to your liver is the the tumors just grow until finally they're going to burst and that's it for you. And so what happened with Doug is is he finally quit taking the chemotherapy. And I got mad at him. I told him, Doug, you you should keep taking that chemotherapy. It's shrinking the tumors. Please keep taking it. He said, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what the chemotherapy does to me. He was right. He was right. So I was angry with him. He quit taking it. And you know what happens after you quit taking the uh, chemotherapy? You start feeling better. You know why? Because you're not taking the chemotherapy anymore. Tell you what happened there. So he'd gone a few months without taking any chemotherapy. And he came up to visit me here. And uh, I said to him, I said, because he was feeling fine. I said, Doug, how do you know you still have cancer? He looked at me and he said, well, I don't. And he said, he said, but to tell you the truth, I'd be a little disappointed because I've been, I've been so looking forward to seeing my Jesus. It's not permanent. Death is not permanent. So focus beyond right now. Peter tells them to keep abstaining from the passions of the flesh. 
These are the desires that, that are war against you and they come from the flesh itself. Our flesh is that lower nature that, that gives in to the things of the world. The things of the world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so Peter tells them that, that a people that are being persecuted and going through a hard time, that they need to keep on abstaining. Why does he tell them this? Why not just give in to the passions of the flesh? Because they may just want to give up and do that. Give in to the passions of the flesh. And there is a war and a tendency to end that pain. And surrender means that you're going to give in to that which wars against you. And the one who is warring against you. Ultimately, we need to remember, we aren't fighting against flesh and blood. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. And a lot of times what we think is, oh, well, you know... uh, I'm fighting against, you know, the government. I'm fighting against, you know, the weather. I'm fighting it, whatever it might be out there. You're not fighting against that. You're fighting against something else. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And if we give in to our passions of the flesh, which is what he's trying to do in us, he's trying to tempt us in order to give in to that, we have given him victory. And we have been made more than conquerors. We weren't made to give in to this. And so what is he trying to do to us? Understand, what does he want? Well, first thing I want you to know, we can't lose our salvation. He, I mean, he's out there, he's fighting against us. So he's not trying to take our salvation away from us. We can't lose our salvation. So why should he care about us? Because there's some things that we can lose. Let me tell you what they are. One is we can lose our spiritual joy. There, there's a whole lot of difference between happiness and, and joy. Understand, the pursuit of happiness Is what puts us in a state so often that we're riding up and down because it happens to be what's happening at the time. That's what happiness. But when we follow what the Lord wants us to do, we will have joy. It says in John chapter 15, verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you. Jesus is speaking here. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Our joy comes from what Jesus has told us. And that way we're to live our lives in such a way so that we do not lose our joy. Because what we do is we walk with our Lord. We get over and we go next to him. Now understand the Lord is not going to come over to you and walk in your sin with you. He wants you to come over and walk with him where he is you 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 receive his word and the joy comes about when david sinned with bathsheba and you know that story he's confronted by it realizes that uh, his sin is 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 known by god isn't that amazing sometimes we don't think our sin is known by god we think sometimes when we're confessing or god goes i didn't know that and he found out that God really knew this. He, he writes Psalm 51. That is a psalm of woe. He is broken over the sin. His joy has been stolen. In fact, he says in Psalm 51, 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You understand what's going on there? 
He's saying, restore to me the joy of my salvation and and give me some strength to walk with you because that's where the joy really is. You realize that sometime in your life. You realize you lost your joy. Go back and look where you're walking. Look who you're walking with. We can also, we can lose God's manifest presence. We can lose our joy. We can lose God's manifest presence. Now that's different from knowing that he's omnipresent. See, we don't know his joy if we are walking in the passions of our flesh. So that what we're doing, we're doing all that we do without him, even if we're trying to do it for him. And we can act like we're spiritually acting. You know, I can tell you what, the, one of the most miserable people that there will ever be is somebody that is teaching a Sunday school class under their own strength and not the strength of the Lord. They'll be miserable. They'll be miserable because they're doing everything in their own strength. And you know what they want to do? As soon as they can, they want to quit teaching. Just as soon as they can. They say, I want to get out of this. I want to stop this. Because you know what they they lack? They do not have the manifest presence of God. They do not have him present with them in his life. They, 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 don't, they don't know he's working in their life. Let me give you some of the evidences that you've lost God's manifest presence. Spiritual exercises are chores. And what will happen is, is that you'll start saying, well, I mean, I, did I have my quiet time? To, no, I didn't. Okay, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. You say, well, I better go ahead and do it. I just want to get this out of the way so I can check it off my list of the things that I got to do today. It is a chore that just has to be done. It is no longer the manifest presence of God that's moving you in that. It's you checking that off the list. Secondly, you don't, you don't connect with people who have God's manifest presence. It, what happens is you don't want to be around those people that are, that are even talking about, the people that, are, that are, have the Spirit just filling them up. And you don't want to be around those people because they remind you about what you don't have. And you don't want to even admit that you don't have it. That's a fact. In fact, you are more concerned about the things of the world than the condition of your soul. You will, you'll focus on the things like with your, what's in your house, what's in your car, and what's in, you know, even with the things of this world. All of the things of this world will mount up and they will be more important than the, the, the condition of your own soul. You won't even recognize that what's going on with your soul. And then you've lost your worship. Why a lot of people do not come to worship, it's because they don't worship even when they're here. That's the reason. They have have lost God's manifest presence. They do not know that he's here. And so what they do is is they, they don't come anymore. And when they did, they thought it was boring. Just bored them to death. And you seek to defend yourself before allowing yourself to be convicted of a cold heart. It's a problem there, isn't it? You'll say the reason I'm not in church is... And those things seem reasonable to you. The reason I don't have my quiet time is... The reason I'm not praying as much as I used to. The reason that I don't talk about spiritual things much like I did before. This is the... You'll... you'll, You'll give reasons for it. So that for the things of the world, crowd out the things of God. You'll be more concerned about your bank account. You'll be more concerned about even your job or anything else than the Lord himself. 
And you have drawn a line that is a barrier where God can't go. God, you can't touch my money. God, you can't touch my, my fishing when I go out fishing. God, you can't touch my golf playing. God, you can't touch my, my whatever it might be that is out there. And you draw a line. You say, nope, that's sacred. I set it aside. And to tell you the truth, if you were honest with yourself right now, there are probably people in this room. They can tell you if they would be honest. I had a closer walk with the Lord at another time in my life. And maybe that's you. Is that I walked close with the Lord, but now I'm, I've just moved a little bit. But it's enough, isn't it? So you can lose God's manifest presence. But here's another thing. We can lose our rewards You realize that we can lose the rewards that we have. You see, the rewards are the things that we have done for the Lord, and they will be stored in heaven, but we can lose those things. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. See, all of our, the believers, all of us will stand in this judgment and we will receive the rewards if we have not been disqualified for them. It says, what are those rewards? It says in 1 Corinthians 3 to 8, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. And wages are the rewards that we're going to receive. Now, this has nothing to do with salvation. I want you to hear that up front. You can't lose your salvation. Devil's not after your salvation. But he, could get a, he wants to get into your rewards. That egalitarian concept that everybody gets the exact same thing in heaven is just not biblical. That is not biblical at all. For the rewards can be lost. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 27, Paul's writing here, he says, But I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest... After preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul can't lose his salvation. So what is this, quali- this disqualification? It's the word adokimos. Adokimos. You know, adokimos would mean uh, something to be approved. But adokimos means something that will not be approved. That is, it's used in the testing of metal. And the way you test metal is it to, you make it fail. And it comes to that point where it fails the test. It's used in an athletic contest to say that the person is unworthy of the prize. Salvation is not a prize to be won, by the way. And see, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You cannot be saved by your works. But your works will accumulate your rewards that you'll have in heaven. But you can then therefore be disqualified of them. So you, those rewards are no longer yours. Let me give an example in a very, fit and very human way. Bill Cosby was once called America's dad. He doesn't have that award anymore. Do you understand? And to the dismay of the people in Texas, the Dallas Cowboys were called America's team. They don't have that award anymore. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? You can lose your rewards and the rewards are not yours. So Satan would love to have you lose your rewards. And so 
you realize your passions wage war against your souls. This this is the the war against our souls. It's not for our souls. It's against our soul. Our souls are secure in the Lord. But the battle then is against the soul. Not to possess it. Not to possess it at all. But it reveals where the battles are being fought. The soul has been defined as mind, will, and emotions. The mind is not our brain. That's part of our body. The functioning of the mind is not the functioning of the brain. The brain is just a CPU. It's just an information processor. It is our minds that determine whether something is good or it is bad. And sometimes our emotions influence our minds. And one of the worst ways, folks, that you're going to determine whether something is right or wrong is saying it feels right. That is one of the worst ways to do it. You need to have solid evidence to know whether it is true in the first place. So how does it work? Well, this is the way it works. We receive information from our flesh. That is the part that will gives in to the things of the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And our emotions determine, we like that. I like that. I like what that is that is there. And so maybe it's because we want to be included in the world. We want to be like everybody else. And since we want to be like everybody else, what we do is, is that we, 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 uh, we participate in this thing just like everybody else. And then the mind determines that something is right because of this emotion and because of this pulling of the world that is there. And the value of this thing uh, that we are doing is, is, is not enough which we shouldn't be doing, is not enough to keep us from doing it. And we respond with our bodies. We do it. Let me give you another scenario. Instead of with your flesh, you respond to the Spirit. Spirit is led by the Holy Spirit. And then our minds receive it. Our emotions may get involved. They may not get involved in this. But because it is from the Holy Spirit... It comes into us in a mind that has been well established in the truth that we have right here. You see, what happens is, is that there's a value that supports that. It's not just something that you feel. It's something that you know is right and you then act on it in this way. You act on it with your bodies. That's where the battle comes. The battle is in the soul. So that everyone falls under one of the three types in their spiritual states. And in this room, every one of you will fall into one of these three. First one is the natural person. The natural person. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If all of this stuff that we are doing in this room right now seems like foolishness to you, if you cannot possibly understand why we're doing it, why I'm even talking about it, you are one of the natural people. You do not know the Lord. Let's be honest about that. Peter is not writing to these people. These are not the people that he's writing to, the natural people. And the second one is the carnal person. Carnal person. That person is found in 1 Corinthians 3, 3. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? This is what Peter is warning against. They are acting just like the natural person. They're acting just like that natural person, but they're actually still Christians. 
and they're carnal. Carnal and not doing what the Lord has told them to do. They are acting in a natural state, but they do know the Lord. The third is the spiritual person. The spiritual person. 1 Corinthians 2.15, it says, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. The spiritual person understands. The spiritual person is responding to the Spirit. The spiritual person is walking with the Lord right now. The spiritual person has the joy of the Lord based upon their walk with the Lord and their dealing with the Lord. The spiritual person is able to determine what is right and what is wrong. And the spiritual person has deep values of what is right and what is wrong. And the spiritual person keeps their emotions in check to fulfill that which is right. You see, the war is to overcome the soul of that spiritual person. That's what Peter is warning again. So let's review a little bit. It says, you can lose. You can lose the joy of the Lord. First, understand that. If you've lost the joy of the Lord, you need to do something about it. You can lose the manifest presence of God. And it's uh, very possible to do that. You can lose your rewards in heaven. And there's one more thing. But I'll talk about that next week.